On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome back one of our favorites, Mary Adkins. Mary is the author of When You Read This and Privilege. She is a graduate of Duke University and Yale Law School and a native of the American South. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, and she teaches storytelling for the moth. Her third novel, Palm Beach, is now available in paperback. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women again, Mary. I'm so happy to be talking to you guys. It feels like it's been so long. It has. It has. It has has had a whole pandemic. We also met your editor at a party. It was Erica Katz party. Oh, party. So we were talking about her. Yes, yes fake. And we were talking about all sorts of books that we loved. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she goes, you know who you guys should interview? Yeah. This author, Mary Atkins. Oh, and I'm like, she's like, you, you guys would re- you guys would really <laughs> like her. We're like, no, we already know we like her. <laughs> How funny is that, though? She just pegged us and all three of us as similar, obviously. I love it, which we well, figured out on the, la- the last time. Yes. Yes. Although in yeah. fairness, okay, so Erica Katz is book launch party, of course, was filled with a bunch of other lawyers, I... probably, or former lawyers or whatever, because she obviously had been yeah, but, a lawyer Yeah, okay, well. but there are so many no, I know. lawyers. I'm... For her to so single many. you out. Yes. No, uh, it was, we it were was, like, it was serendipitous. Yes, it, it is. That makes me so happy to I hear it. I love it. We're going to talk about Palm Beach. There's a lot we want to discuss, but there's a couple things I need to talk about first. <laughs> I know it's been a while. But I have felt very tethered to you from your newsletter. I'm loving it. I always enjoy it. Can we talk about this situation in, with your college professor? Can we start with that? I just oh, saw yeah. this as well. And I was <laughs> yeah. dying about the B minus. I was dying. You have. I'm like, this is, I was outraged for you because I also do not get B minuses. So yeah. you better. Yeah, well, I, and I have I a similar study. story. So, but let, let's. Do you, can you tell us a little bit? Yeah, about- sure. So I love I write this newsletter every week and it's to writers. Like I'm addressing writers. It's about writing usually. And just in case anyone was wondering, but the today's what this morning and I like to like write them right before I send them. So they're very fresh, oh, you know? I so I literally that. wrote that this morning. I like woke oh my up. Gosh. And wrote. Yeah. But I, it just, I told the story about, I took one creative writing class in college. It was my freshman year. And I was so excited going into college. I thought I was just going to take tons of creative writing classes because I loved writing. And I thought like, oh, this is going to be what I do. But my first one, I was short story. It was the art of the short story or something. And I remember like turning in my first draft and it just being ripped apart by the class. And I was so humiliated. And then I got a B minus on it. And then I got a B minus on my next one. And then I got a B minus on my next one. I mean, it was my worst class. And I was in, (laughs) I was taking like hard sciences that semester. too. (laughs) I was in biology and I was doing fine. I mean, which were like reputedly at this, at my college, it was like the, those were supposed to be the classes where you you struggled to get good grades, you know, but meanwhile, I'm in like the creative writing class and I can't even break out of a B minus. So I, I was kind of freaking out because I was obsessed with, you know, it was like an A student, like like, never got to be in (laughs) high school or whatever. So I, I remember like going to the library and hunkering down with this professor's latest collection of short stories and being like, I'm going to study what she's doing and then do that so that I can get an A. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I did it. That's what I did. And it, which, by the way, so, you excelling. You did that well. <laughs> like not everyone yeah, can even copy well, but like you did. Yes, figured out how to do that. Well, but it was like, and I wrote this story that was. It actually, I didn't even include this part in the newsletter, but it wasn't really fiction. It was like 
I just took a story from my life that I was really personal that I didn't want to tell, but that I, that I thought I could write in the style that she, she wrote. Uh-huh. So then not only did I write not like myself, but I wrote about something I wasn't really comfortable writing about wow. <laughs> oh, boy. in order to try to get an A. Yeah. So the, so, and I did, I managed to get an A, but it, it left a really bad taste in my mouth. It was like, oh, that was, that was terrible. I don't want to do that again. I must not be very good at, at, at intuiting what good fiction writing is. So I should just not write fiction because I didn't want to write like the, the story I wrote that got an eight. That wasn't fun for me. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So I didn't write fiction for a decade after it's, that. It's so wild. Uh, I, so you had an experience like that I too. did. Well, it wasn't quite similar. It was more about, well, it was my worst grade for sure. And I get, and I wanted to do this and I, like I thought this was what I was going to do. I was going to write novels and I hoped to write one because I knew you weren't really going to get a job. I was thought law, law school was where I was going, but if I wrote my great novel in college, then I wouldn't yeah. have to do that. And the teacher, it was just the first realization that it's so subjective. It really yes. is such a yes. wild thing to be taking. Now mm-hmm. you can, what my teacher ultimately did was grade on revision so mm-hmm. if your first draft was trash and your last draft was great, that was an A. If you mm-hmm. didn't really change your drafts, you didn't get stronger, you got a B. So I, I mm-hmm. worked in revision and that worked out fine for me, but it was so subjective. And I just remember it was also such a realization for me in that class. We did workshop out loud, oh. everyone's pieces, and there was just this there was another woman in my class who was just sophisticated. She definitely went to like private school for high school. <laughs> and I like I grew up half on a bad block in a borough of Manhattan and then moved to a rural area. So I was so very sheltered in so many ways. And she wrote this, I'll never forget her first line. It was, <laughs> we were on the train to Banff. First of all, I didn't know. I'm like, wait, what is BAMF? Where, what, where is was, that? I didn't even that know not what it, Long Island. I, I, didn't tell you that. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know if it was like Lollapalooza. I didn't know if yeah, it was a city. Yeah. I knew nothing. And I just, she just, and the way she said it, and we were on the train to Banff. She's looking out the <laughs> oh window wistfully. I'm picturing like a smoking jacket and yeah, a pipe, even though yes, she's is, probably is, not yeah. wearing not, But totally. And it was... And the teacher loved hers and did not love mine. And I just remember being like, I, she's good. I'm not. And I have bad, it it was, I have bad instincts was my, the way I took it too. So. Is that when you decided not to be an English major or was it because they were going to make you read poetry? Because that's Corinne's other. Those are, it was the same year. I can't take them apart. It was the same year. Yeah. Because Corinne and I, I, we, you may not know this. We both went to Boston college together. We graduated together. Yeah. So we've talked about it since like, well, why weren't, you know, I was an English major. She wasn't, I knew she always wanted to go to law school. Then I did go to law school, but I didn't want to go to law school, this whole thing. But there was a point, yeah, where you told me it was mostly because you were going to have to read poetry. Poetry. It sounds like it was also this creative writing class. It's hard to separate the two out. I think if I had maybe gotten a a better grade in that class or a better, Mm. had a better experience, I might have done it. But I also 
was I was a political science major, which is what I thought real lawyers were majored in for some reason, I don't, because I knew nothing. And then I did a double major and I could do either communication or English. And then I was like, well, one has rhetoric and the other has poetry. Um, I'm going to go with that one. Rhetoric. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I so. do feel kind of bad for professor. I mean, not bad for them, but I... It, it's this weird thing they're forced into when you like you were talking about how subject it's so subjective it like you said and it's this weird paradigm they're forced into where they have to give grades yeah but grades are so stupid when it comes to creative, creative writing. writing it's so they stupid are. like it's like you have to find a way around it I guess like your professor did where maybe where it's like okay well you did get a you good grade improve? if you just revise well or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So you, after this, you said you didn't do any writing, but then, so then what did you end up majoring in? Like then- Public policy. Okay. So you went, and I obviously (laughs) went on to law school. We just read your bio, but yes. Okay. It's like, let me go. I mean, which was totally, I mean, yes, I was interested in it, but very much a case of like, I need to do what I'm good at and what kind of comes naturally to me and what I, what's going to get me A's. So that's what I did. Oh gosh. You're just touching on all my buttons here this morning, Mary. (laughs) I know. A, I, a friend of in this way. Well, a friend of mine recently said to me. Now, I, I look. I like hard truths for my friends. So this sounds harsh, but I'm just telling you. She knows me, and it's okay. But she, we were, I was talking about how what a struggle I've been going through to get published, and it's not happening. And what if it never happens? Bob, you know, I'm going down this. And she was basically like, "Nothing in your life has ever been hard. So good." good that you're not getting it good that it's taking you yeah and I was like she's right she is Mm -hmm. really right that this it shouldn't be easy for me it's just not supposed to be so I'm just that's really that's a good I'm just gonna that's like I like friends when they give you tough love like take that that medicine right Mm -hmm. down yeah (laughs) yeah I certainly relate to having gone down the path of like this is like doing kind of what's easy and leads to affirmation for me pretty easily yes yes oh 100 percent yeah. And things that don't, that are subjective, that don't have a grading rubric, <laughs> that don't mm-hmm. have a specific path, first year law students, I mean, you know, first year associate, second year associate, third year, it doesn't have a path. I mean, writing couldn't be any farther from that way in, yeah. the, the, from the law in that way. And that is why I kept chasing that instead of this hard thing. Like, why would I do Dang. that to myself? So... We were going to get to this later, which is about your, then your path to publication, because really last time when we spoke to you, we did hear this, you know, more of why you went the path you went and we're hearing it now too, which is you went to law school, you're obviously good at school, you know, that's the thing you could excel at, there were objective measures, but then you got there on the first day at basically one of the most prestigious law firms in New York City, you were miserable. You literally knew you said on day two, which I blows my mind. I re-listened to our interview and I was like, holy cow. I mean, a lot of people get there. Most people do not get there that fast. And you were like, I'm in the wrong life. Like, not just like, this sucks. There's a lot of work. I already, I'm in the wrong life. So you knew, and we talked about that, but what we didn't really talk about now then was, how you got out of that life. And I mean, I understand the misery can be extremely motivating, but then how you found your way back to what sounds like was something you felt in you very early on, but because of this professor or other things kind of got squashed yeah. out of you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. How- I remember that day, like the second day that 
I talked about in the last interview because it felt like I was in a play, like a bad play. (laughs) And I was like in costume. Like I just remember standing in my office and being like, who is this person? Because this is not me. And I, it was just a very weird, surreal feeling. And I knew like I wanted to start getting out right away, but because of what we're talking about affirmation, like I didn't want to leave until I had a job, a, a new job that would impress people. So mm. like that I could be like, I'm leaving to do this. And yeah. they'd all be like, oh, well, that's good too. Good for you. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. So I immediately started applying to jobs like that where it would like in the public interest, but where I could be like, oh, I'm leaving to do public interest law or so. <clears throat> Even though I didn't really want to do that either. I just, that was more palatable to me reputation wise. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I thought I would like it more. I mean, that, that was also genuine. Like as far as law went, I thought, well, I think I would prefer to do public interest law. So I started applying to jobs like that really on my second day, which mm. I don't think my employer ever <laughs> yeah. knew. And none of them really panned out. I kind of made it. I remember like leaving work to go to some interviews. I would like make it to the kind of final round of things, but nothing ever panned out. And then I had one of those like terrible, terrible, or, you know, early associate experiences where I was there really late one night. And I don't remember if I talked, did I talk about this the last time we no, talked? I don't remember it. I was there really late one night. It was almost midnight. And I, I, we had a midnight debt filing deadline and I was the one left responsible for getting these things in by midnight. And there was a tech snafu, oh, which is that I didn't know, <laughs> of course. And because I was you know, new to the workplace. I mean, I was only at this point, like seven months out of law school. I didn't know that when you scan a document to turn it into a PDF, the file is much larger than if you just digitally turned it into a PDF. This sounds very like tedious, right? But it became very consequential because I was supposed to e-file these things and they were all, and I started to e-file them at like 11.40 PM and they were all too big. And there were like 40 of them that I had done this way. And so partners are just, the phone's ringing off the hook. Like we're going to meet the deadline. What's going on there? And all this stuff. And I just like started to panic and I went to the bathroom. I had never broken out in hives in my life. And I looked in the mirror and I was covered in these big red welts, my my face, my neck, And I remember like I was looking in the mirror and I was like, I have to leave. I can, this cannot, I cannot do this anymore. This cannot be my life. And I called, we, we went home. The partners said, just like the partner I was working for said, just go like, we'll deal with it tomorrow. Like it's too late now. You're not going to make these smaller by morning. We've already missed our deadline. So I went home and then the next morning called my mom, just sobbing and hysterical. And she said, like quit, quit. You know, she was just like, yeah, right. Like being a mother and just like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what you do next. Just quit today. Okay. I didn't quit that day, but what I did do at that point was like really lower my standards for how I was going to pay my bills next. I no longer was it like, I need to find a job people would be impressed by. It was like, I just need to find a way to pay my bills, which was great because then I very quickly found a tutoring job, tutoring the LSAT for a company that said they could get me enough work that I could pay my bills. Oh, wow. And as soon as they, as soon as they gave me the offer letter, I gave notice. So that was probably three weeks later. It was really fast at that point. And then, yeah, then I was going to write, but because of that college class, I didn't think I could write fiction. So I thought I could have good. That was in your newsletter too, which I didn't know. You started with nonfiction. You you did a proposal first. Yeah. 
yeah, I did a proposal for like a comedic memoir in the style of like Sloan Crosley yeah. called All the Homeless People Can Live in My Room about just like just funny stories because I, I had had some good, I felt like I had put written some funny things and had good responses in writing classes and stuff for nonfiction. So I wrote this proposal and was pitching it to agents. And then this agent, Christopher Schelling, who's a really wonderful human being, and now my friend's literary, wrote me back and said, I could have sold the hell out of this in the 90s, (laughs) but I can't now. What else do you have? And I, because he had been a little cheeky, I think I also, I was a little cheeky writing back and said, well, what could you sell the hell out of now? Yeah. And he wrote back and said, well, do you have a, do you have a novel? And it was funny because I had actually had a novel idea, but I definitely wasn't I just what, didn't yeah. think I would actually write it because again, it was like this subconscious belief that I'm not good at fiction. Yeah. But now I had had, you know, this literary agent say, do you have a novel idea? And I was like, I should, permission I think I had already granted. by this point heard. Yeah. Permission yes. granted. And I think I had already heard by this point, the advice never say, if someone says, do you have something? Never say no. Yeah. Like say yes Ooh, and then go that. write it. Yes. <laughs> So I said, yes, here's my novel idea. And I wrote him a really short paragraph. And he wrote back right away and was like, I love it. Write it and send it to me. Oh, my god! Which was just like, I I mean, he never became my agent, but I just have such warm feelings towards this man because that, yeah, that was my permission slip. Like, that's why I became, that's why I became a novelist. It reversed what had been done before. Yeah. 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 But was yeah. there a little terror with that? Like you'd only written a paragraph and it's like, go for no, it. Oh, that's shit. Exciting, now I gotta go though. do it. That's terrible. Definitely. It's exciting. Look at me. I'm going to get in the hives. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you hadn't written I wouldn't it yet. have slept for like three days. I mean, you can't write a whole novel in three days or no. that way, but I would have just gone, gone wow. adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty much did. I really dove in because it, you know, because then it's, then you're, I'm like, oh, someone's waiting for this. Yes, because he there's accountability. He wasn't waiting for it. Yeah. But in my head, he was waiting for it. Yes. So I could, yeah. or at least willing to look at it. And that, that That's was big. Like, oh, know, that is. Yeah, it was really a really big. important permission slip that I God, that you I are just, uh, I, I already said it. I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> but I started writing nonfiction. When I started writing, Again, I started writing nonfiction. I started writing mommy blog mm. fodder. And mm-hmm. I remember I was doing it on my own personal blog. And then I saw a call for they need a staff writer at this site called Mommy-ish. And I had an interview with my I remember editor. That, yeah, I, I had an interview with the editor. And she's like, you have such a strong voice. And I was like, ooh, I do? <laughs> no one's ever said something like that to me. And yeah. she hired me. And I loved it, but I followed the praise. I was getting paid for it. I was getting, you know, notoriety for it. I was, I mean, I really, I would go to things with other moms and they'd be like, oh my God, you wrote that? Like, it was such a weird thing. But I'm now, this is my takeaway. Follow the crickets. If nobody wants to hear, if nobody wants to hear from you, that's probably the path. Don't go where the applause is because yeah. it's not going to lead you back to yourself at all. Now, if the hopefully the applause and the passion lines up, but when you're just following it for the applause, it's not going to take you closer to mm-hmm. who you are. Because I didn't want to write about just by yeah, yeah. 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 And it was I think also we have like so a personal, quote right there. Come on, follow the, <laughs> the crickets. crickets. Don't follow the, the applause. You got you know? it's good. It's poetic. Yeah. It, it like is. It. All right, let's go to Palm Beach. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. 
Tell, can you tell us a little bit about what this novel is about, which, by the way, panned out from, and I'm going to ask you where you were when you interviewed with us two years ago. You knew this. You pitched it similarly to where it ended up. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. You it's did. all a blur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that. So tell us about Palm Beach. The idea for this novel came to, speaking of mommying, yes. mommy blogging, yeah. being a mom, the idea for this really came to me after when I was in like the throes of new motherhood because I was just dealing with all this like nursing drama and <laughs> I and underslept and, and mm. feeling all these new feelings and having these like hormonal, you know, experiences and thought, wow, I don't think I read about this much in fiction. Like I just hadn't really, I mean, Curtis Sittenfeld had just come out with a collection of short stories called you think it, I'll say it. it. And Mm -hmm. there were a lot of moms in that, like, especially there were, there was like one new mom story that I remember so vividly. It's also funny too, because in those early days of being really underslept, I have, there's, you would think it would be the opposite, but I don't, I don't know about you guys, but for me, at least it's, I have some vivid. really vivid memories yeah. and like that story, she's a short story about this new mom. And I feel like I could recite it right now, oh, I love that. Wow. <laughs> four years after reading it. I just remember the whole short story, like a photograph. Uh-huh. But anyway, I thought, oh, I want to write like, I'm experiencing this. This feels like a really rich experience for fiction. And then I sat down and started writing and it just kind of started coming to me. This, you know, a new mom who was dealing with all the new mom pressures of career versus being a mother. And then it, it just seemed kind of natural to set it in the world of to a, a couple being two artists trying to make it in New York because that that had been our lived experience. My husband yeah. and me, that had been our experience. I mean, he had been, he was switching careers to the sciences by this point, but he, when I met him, he was an actor and a singer, which meant he was also a caterer and all yeah. of his friends were <laughs> actors, singers, which meant right. they were also caterers. <laughs> and I was a writer and I, I had never known cater. Like I, I had some friends who were freelancers, but they all, I don't know. Writers didn't seem to go into catering. As no, our you're right. We would it's like interesting actors. Or yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or we would wait tables or we would be bartenders, yeah. which I also did. But yeah. like they like actors, they all catered. They all catered for the same couple of catering companies. And which meant they also and they were like, you know, the, the kind of big catering companies that that um, the wealthiest people in New York, who are the wealthiest people in the world, would hire. So they would, you know, they would like have these stories of, of catering on, on yachts and like, (laughs) and these, on these estates. I mean, they would, I remember my husband would like, particularly like in certain seasons, he would be the driver and they would have to rent a van and like drive out to the Hamptons to like cater for seven hours. And then they would like drive back in the wee hours of the morning. And they love, they love those gigs because they got paid like a travel fee too mm-hmm. and then uh, he got paid to be the driver too yeah. so it was so it was like I had been hearing these stories for years and and watching them do this like watching them put on their catering blacks and then yeah, like yeah like come back in the wee hours of the night with like all of this like they got to take home often they they would tell me I, I keep saying they it's because our closest friends also lived in our building. It was like oh. a friend. It was like friends. Yeah. You know? I love <laughs> it. Oh. And they were caterers too. So it was like, we were just always like, I was the only one who wasn't a caterer. So it was, 
like they were always coming back with like the leftover vuv and the stuff. Oh, I was going to yeah. say leftover food, but the vuv is better. No, yeah. they would come back with all the leftover booze, which they told me they would always have permission to, but I don't know. If that's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> yeah. So then I, it was such a rich and interesting world yeah. to me, the catering world that you know, I mean, when you're writing fiction, like that's the fun part of fiction is you get to like pull from different parts of life. So it's like, I wanted to write about this new mom and I thought, well, oh, but this is also an opportunity to really bring in all of this fascinating catering stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then sometime around here, I don't remember how it ended up being set in Palm Beach exactly, but I do remember that we went down there and I was like, and I thought, oh, this place is yeah. crazy. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's completely crazy. It's a perfect setting for it's this. It's a great setting. Mm-hmm. And I had already set a novel. When you read this, it was set in New York. And I like, I wanted to set this book somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I also knew that these, a lot of these clients who my friends catered for had homes in Palm Beach. In Palm I mean, Beach. it only, it made yeah. sense that it was yeah. like, oh, this is the same group of people that, that are Literally. being catered catered yeah, yeah. two and four yeah so it actually was an easy place to imagine setting it now I didn't know Palm Beach very well so we ended, we did end up moving down there for a few months so I could fun oh. under the guise of research yeah <laughs> but, that's like amazing. New York in the winter was you know it was of course freezing and so it was like my husband really did when I said I think we should go to Palm Beach for a few months it was winter he was wrapping up his classes so he didn't have any classes for a few months because he was oh he was in the in-between place of applying to grad school he had finished all his free recs so we didn't really have a reason to be in New York yeah and he also hates the cold so it was kind of he he did not argue when I asked let's go go Palm Beach for a few months yeah yeah oh I love that what an adventure yeah I know yeah it was really fun so we need to talk about Rebecca and the situation she finds herself in she is a writer dedicated to highlighting economic inequality who is about to have her family income supplied by a ruthless venture capitalist she calls out in her work. She is, as we like to say here, complicated. So tell us about Rebecca, you know, your inspiration in developing her, maybe any challenges you faced when writing her. Okay. Rebecca was really a hard character for me to write. Mm. And I think it's because I, I gave myself a challenge with this book. I gave myself a couple of craft challenges with this book just because I wanted to I do something it. new. So one it. of them, one yeah. of them was, sh- so privilege was from three different perspectives, mm-hmm. but they were separated by chapters. So I didn't have to do any segueing. Yeah. I didn't have to do any head hopping on this one. I wanted to write from third person, but, but segue within the text from character to character, which was challenging for me. Yeah. That may not be challenging for others, but like, I didn't know that I could do that. It's yeah, very it's challenging. So I, I thought I'm going to try to pull that off. And then the other thing I really wanted to pull off was writing a woman protagonist who is not me yeah. <laughs> or not like me, yeah. you know, it was, yeah. was really different. Mm-hmm. And it's not that all of my other women characters in fiction, of course, had been like me, but I think in both of my first two novels, the main character, the, yeah. the female protagonist was, was more me than any of the other characters. So like Iris and when you read this, I related to her very much. And then in Privilege, Annie, I related to her very much. I also came from a public high school in Georgia and like got a scholarship to go to a school where I didn't fit fit in. I mean, so with this one, I, even though I was a new mom, like I knew that I had that in common with Rebecca, I wanted to do something different. Like I really wanted to write a character who 
did not have my same Enneagram number, for yeah. example. And so- What is your Enneagram number? I used to think I was a seven and now I know I'm a three. Well, oh, I'm a three. So. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, You're I'm a three? three. I yes. get, every time it's I test, I get seven. for me. And I'm not a seven. I don't- Oh, interesting. I did too. I did too. That's why I thought I was a seven. Yeah, it's but not But then I worked right. with an Enneagram coach who helped me see that I'm a three. That's what happened to me. Well, uh, but I'm a two wing three. Is that what it is? Oh, like, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't until I had a coach who was, we actually did it in couples version. Oh. Yeah. Both me and my husband. And yeah, I, they were like, no, that test is wrong. And But every single time and any test I took, seven, 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 Same. seven. Yeah. Same. So, Me right. too. Okay, and so. it's really interesting that the test can be that wrong. Yes. Um, anyway, so Rebecca in the book is a one. And I, I thought about that. I thought about her. In I love it. I wanted her to be, well, again, not a three, but I, and she kind of, I wanted her to be really principled in a way that one. might rub people the wrong way, like be kind of abrasive, but also like she's trying to be really true to what she believes. And so she is pretty black and white and yeah. she sees the world as pretty black and white mm-hmm. and is not afraid of confrontation, which again, not me at all. I mean, not me at all, <laughs> but I loved, it was fun. It was almost like a, I really like, you know, the Rufy Thorpe, Yes. Ruthie yes. Thorpe. I love course. Ruthie. Yeah, me too. She once described me like fiction writing as a as a kind of wish fulfillment. Mm. And oh, I love that. I yeah, yeah, and I feel like I had I felt elements of that in writing some of the scenes where Rebecca is confrontational with people because it's like w- the kind of thing I wish I would Wouldn't. do, oh, but I, I just never would even come close in real life. Oh, oh, I love that. What else did you do though to get to know her? I mean, it's that since she was so unlike you, you, it sounds like you gave her an enneagram number, which helped you find that certain helped. qualities. I mean, anything else that you did? I I drew on the qualities of people I knew who I felt like were like her, which is not very many, okay. just yeah. a couple. Yeah. But I, mm-hmm. that that helps me kind of channel mm-hmm. like how would this person react in this situation? Yeah. You you also, you gave her things that come from your life, but you made her personality very different, right? Like, cause I was thinking like privilege, Palm Beach tackles class. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in this, we see her being really uncomfortable, pointing out the income inequality, inequality and disparities. And then she's kind of seeing something else. She's a little skeptical, but she's more in it. And then her growing dependence on it. And so she has a whole journey around that, which it sounds like from your public policy background maybe was a familiar topic for you, even though she is nothing like you. It's pulled from your world. Does that sound right? Yeah. It sounds totally right. Yeah. And then some of the also just basic facts were obviously pulled from my world too, which is like, you know, being a new mom, husband being a caterer and a singer. I mean, it's funny because I think on paper, it looks the most like my life, but she's the character who's the least like me. It makes a lot of sense, though, the way you're describing it. Yes, the facts, the hats, but but who she is and how, because character is all about how you react to something. And if she's mm-hmm. not reacting the way you would, that's completely different. That's really interesting. And I think it makes sense. Yeah. And it's interesting too, I, cause I, you know, we're talking about complicated women on this podcast. I think I definitely felt the tension with this book of like, likability. Mm-hmm. So feedback from writing group, 
for my writing group as I was working on drafts of, of this would be like, she's not likable. Like she's not likable enough. And I was constantly, I was constantly feeling that tension of like, what, who is the character who I really want to write here? And do I really want to make her save a cat, you know, <laughs> or like, yeah. what is, and then when the book came out, I, I could not believe how many texts from friends I got that were like, she's awful. Yeah. I hate her. I can't stand her. It was just really interesting. I mean, that's the only book I've written where I was getting those texts pretty regularly from friends. I have interesting because I thought her being a mother and certainly the details of it, I thought would be her cat, you her know, cat. From, yeah, yeah, her Blake Snyder's. <laughs> mm-hmm. but I guess it's still just the way she was reacting to things people had a hard time with, I guess. I yeah. think that's, I can't, I think that's amazing. And Emily Giffen says it, you know, you either love her books or her characters or you hate them and there's no in between. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fascinating because you know what, a book that I finish and go, okay, like I don't talk about that book. I mm-hmm. talk about books like this, mm-hmm. right? That's what yeah. you want. You want to mm-hmm. bring up that conversation. Well, right. I always like say that a, about myself as a person. You either love me or hate me. So clearly I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fan of that barometer. So you've mentioned motherhood, yeah. which we do want to talk about. There is a quote or a passage I want to read. You wrote, she could be absolutely fine. And in a millisecond, her mind would concoct the worst possible scenario imaginable, a fantasy that left her heart fleeing. And so right before you're, it, you're like motherhood. Motherhood. Yeah, motherhood. She could be fine, and then this. This is this is it. That's an entire sentence. That's all you need to know. And let me unpack it a little bit more. Yeah. Yes. And so you've already mentioned you're a mother yourself, and I I'm sure you've experienced this kind of whipsaw emotion that that Rebecca describes here. So is that? Can you share more about that? I mean, as mothers, I think we all are just sort of nodding along like, exactly. Or even how how she reacts that might be different from you as a mother. Mm -hmm. I'd be interested in any of that. Yeah. Well, that in particular, that line, I don't even, I don't remember writing that. But as you were reading it, I was like, oh, I remember having that experience yesterday. You know? Yeah. It's just so fundamentally true. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember my, well, the, what yesterday, what I was thinking was I left my son, my son's four, but he was like, you know, in the bath and I went to my bathroom to wash my face and I stopped hearing sound from his bathroom for a second. And immediately I'm like, Is it possible that somehow, even though he's four and the water was this much, (laughs) he has just drowned? You know, like I'm like picturing how it could happen. I'm like, well, if he stood up and then he slipped and then he, my friend. Get out of my brain. (laughs) That is my brain. And by the way, I construct the whole thing. I do yeah, like, same. like, I like not, I don't say to myself, it. that's impossible. That doesn't make any sense. What I say is, how can this happen? And then I construct the whole thing. Yeah. Right. This is the writer's brain. You guys are writing the, the <laughs> tragic yeah. scenario yeah. and you can see it play out. And I got to I mean, make it believable. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. It is like almost like it's like the dark, the dark yeah. side of the writer's brain being mm-hmm. able to concoct these fantasies. My friend Kate, used to talk about this, what we're talking about and say that her example that always made me laugh was she was like, she'll be at the top of the, the subway stairs with her, with her baby. And she's like, and, and it just becomes so surreal. Her fantasy, she'll think like, okay, well, if the stroller started to go down, I would flatten my body and turn it into a ramp. And then (laughs) just like this absurd mirror that would play out in her head of how she would like 
be the, you know, like the equivalent of the mom who like lifts up the bus to say yes. you know, whatever, yeah. it was, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. My daughter, we went to a water park this week and it was just the two of us. We've never gone just the two of us. And I was like, do you know dad's phone number off the top of your head? Because <laughs> she knows my phone number. I've trained them to know my phone number in case anything happens to them. And they yeah. know to go to find a mom and tell them, call my mom. But but what if it's just me and you and I have a heart attack at the top of Waterside? Why am I thinking of this? And I'm like trying to be yeah. all casual so I don't give yeah. her my neuroses. But I'm like, hey. So just what, like it would be good to other, have dads too. You I was know? like, do you know yeah. dad's phone number? She's like, no. I and I'm like. I totally get it. Yes. Yeah. It's, I just thought of another one when you were saying that. It was it like when I'm when I put him in his car seat like at Target or something and I have to go put the, the car back. The keys. <laughs> yeah. Or even I, like I'm like, what if I got hit by a car, had a heart attack between here and the cart thing? Then he would be in a hot car. So I leave the doors open. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I crack just the windows. In case I get mowed down. Yeah. yeah. In between. Are you Someone guys- would eventually find him. I don't know what to say here, though, like that I have never had any of these thoughts. Does this make me like a bad mom? Sane. It makes you sane. Does it? Or does it feel like Did you ever see, this is, exactly, and the reason, another reason I love Jennifer Garner so much is one time she did lock her, she didn't get mowed down, but she she put her kid in the car and went around and forgot she had her keys in her hand when she put him in the car seat and dropped the keys. So and shut the door. And there are so many paparazzi shots of her trying to teach the kid how to unlock it. He did, but oh, he did. Yes. Oh, good. But have to. also, why I love her. My nightmare. She's, yeah, yes, exactly. She's yeah. me. She's the great. She's the best. I love her. Okay. Oh my gosh. All right. So obviously, you can relate to that. We got off. We got off topic. But shocker. But, I know. But this is something else I've related to in a similar way, in a a kind of a different way than Rebecca. So the novel also brings up assumptions about division of labor in parenting. And there's a joke between Mickey and Rebecca, like it's not babysitting if you're the father, right? Now, Mm -hmm. I didn't ever do that. In fact, I was kind of proud of myself for being like, I never asked my husband to babysit. He is their father. And I kind of had a high horse on that. But then when I read this, I was like, you know what? It's still the same because I still felt like he was doing me a favor, that I was asking my husband for a favor when I had him watch the kids. Now, he was doing it because he was their father, but I was still felt like it was something about, for me, that it, the the underlying assumption is that it's my responsibility. And if he's going to do it, it makes sense because he's the father, but also that I need to ask for that favor for him to do that and can you manage this and I so I was falling into that same you know very stereotypical division of labor so I wanted to talk about how you feel this do you feel this tug of responsibility and how do you manage it yeah definitely and it's I so I wanted to really capture that tension in the book because you know so for anyone who hasn't read it the Mickey, Mickey and Rebecca both end up working in this billionaire's household. But because Rebecca doesn't want to leave the baby with a sitter because she's not comfortable with that yet, she brings the baby. And there's this tense point where she asks Mickey to watch the baby. And he's like, I can't, I'm at work. But she's also at work and they're both parents. And it's just like, on one hand, I feel like it's the kind of 
thing that I would get in my head about if this happened between my husband and me, because it's on, on one hand, it's like, okay, well, if you think, well, this is just gender roles and expectations, that's not fair. She, they're both here at work. Why should she have to watch the baby and him not? But then it's also, there's also the fact that she's the one who's chosen to bring the baby. Like he would have been fine getting a sitter. Yes. So it's like, if you're the one who's made the choice, maybe you do carry the responsibility yeah. to follow through with that decision and bear the brunt of it. So mm. I think, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I think like in my husband and I have had because we're so steeped in it, you know, like, you, like, I also feel like we've managed it really well, but we're so steeped in these expectations of like the mother is who like, you know, the, the school calls the mother first, yeah. just, they just do, yeah. or like yeah. just all of these ways in which it's like the, the weight of parenting culturally falls on the mother in all these little ways. Right. Now you can yeah. change it, but you have to, you have to affirmatively. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes being proactive. Yes. And I, in our relationship, sometimes it, it's funny because my, my son is at a, has been out of school. He's on a little break between daycare and starting school for a couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. I arranged for childcare and told my husband how the childcare was going to work. We have a sitter. And um, the other night he said something like, oh, is she coming tomorrow? And I rolled my eyes and he knew why I was rolling my eyes because not only did I arrange for the sitter, but I've mm -hmm. told him like 19 times yeah. what her hours are, Yeah, mm -hmm. but he knew what I was. He, so then I rolled my eyes and he said, Oh, what are you annoyed because you're the wife and you're just supposed to be the mom and you're the, supposed to be the one who takes care of all this. And I don't even have to remember the schedule. And I was like, okay, good. We've acknowledged yes. it. That's a good answer. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. And then I like, it was diffusing, yeah, you know, it, it was like, okay, good. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly um, what's eating at me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But good yeah. for him for saying that, yeah. you know, and not being yeah. like, can't you just say it again? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you know, right. I, right. I like, did you really need to roll your eyes? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, kind of. Cause yeah. I've told you right. 19 times. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. It was a very good reaction on him. It was kind of an yeah. ideal reaction on his part in that moment because yes. yeah. it did make me think like, okay, good, great. I feel very seen because that's exactly what was going on in my mind. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Kate, did we talk about astrology or, or, or do you have something else? Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, we do. So, I mean, when we, I do, we ask all our authors, what's your sign and do you relate? You and the this. thing is, we've already talked to you about it, but what I wanted to share with you on astrology was that you, well, first of all, we haven't even said this. We keep saying we interviewed you before, but you were our first, very yes. first <gasps> You author are. interview. I yeah. was? You were. Very I first. I don't remember that. And I don't know if we told you because we were probably trying to act cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> probably. Probably. And the, you, we at, at that point, like I said, it's our first one. We don't know. Astrology is a side interest for us. Maybe everyone thinks we're crazy. But we asked you, what's your sign? And you responded, my sun sign? And we, and we lost it. We lost our shit. We're like, Oh, love oh, she's, this. She's one woman. of us. Okay. And then of course, from there it was your, you know, you're a Taurus, but you have a Leo moon and I'm a Leo and you're a rising Scorpio. And we loved it. We loved it. Mm -hmm. So first, I just want to say, had you answered that question differently, I think it would have completely changed the trajectory for us. A hundred percent. And this podcast and our astrology no angle. Way. Because yeah. if you were like, I'm a Taurus, like... Like, why are you asking? 
or I'm not saying you would have ever been that dismissive, yeah. but my point is if it, if you had given, Oh, a we've had answer, people be that dismissive. <laughs> you yeah, have just yeah. a couple. Though. Just I do. The, it is true. One of, yeah. No, it's very few, but when they don't, yeah. when it doesn't land, it doesn't they're like, land. okay, moving on. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an example where the crickets who just, yeah. they, no. those yeah. you actually do listen to <laughs> and is. you just realize this is not your thing. But, yeah. but anyway, so thank you for that because yes. I do believe that had you answered differently, we would have gone another path. You also were the first one that said you had seen an astrologer and, you know, had your chart done. And from that moment on, it took us it a was while, in our head, but we did keep going. We should, we should, we should get an astrologer. We should, we should get a reading. We should do a reading, which we have now since done both of us. Oh, so nice. again, really thanks to you saying that multiple, in the first instance. Multiple. Yes. Multiple. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad to hear um, it. Me too. I'm you know, doing it. I do it annually. Well, so this is what I was going to ask. There's a couple of things. You also talked last time because it was in the book, In Privilege. So was the reason we could ask you even though the question in the first place was because in Privilege, you had met, you had a line about the guy was a Pisces, but he didn't want to, but he didn't believe in astrology. Yes. So it was such a perfect all, line. It was perfect, but you had also mentioned Myers-Briggs. So we talked about that. You've mentioned the Enneagram today. So like all of these things we love too in different ways, but all for us, it's all about just different tools to figure ourselves out, to understand more about ourselves. And we are not embarrassed by this fact. I don't care what anybody says anymore because we have taken so much from these things that has been oh beneficial for us. Yeah. So yeah. I did want to ask you now, we know all your sign and all this, but sort of what other sort of practices or things, you know, that you might do if you still, it sounds like you still do astrology or super into tarot cards recently because enough Kate is like a tarot master that. all of a sudden. It's, I mean, it's I mean, amazing. I have them right here. So what are your things now? I mean, or maybe just more of the same. Yeah. I don't know. I'm so I, I'm still really into astrology. I do have an astrologist I meet with my astrologist every year. I leave that session feeling like just so inspired. And Ugh. I don't know. I just, I feel so connected. It's like just feeling connected to the world around, you know, yes. the world around me and not feeling like I need to control everything and pull all the strings because it's already I'm in a motion. Part of bigger forces. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a really great feeling I have leaving those sessions. So still really into astrology. Also, I mean, Enneagram has big my, been my big one this last year. I've got, okay. done a real deep dive into Ooh, being a three and mm -hmm. discovered a lot of stuff about myself and habits and old kind of coping mechanisms. And uh, like when you just said you don't care what people think anymore, I was thinking for a three, that's very good progress. That's huge. Because, that's the first yeah. time she's ever said anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> this really? is a new Kate that? after I, that, Leah Moon. Did you just say that? You don't even remember saying I don't. I don't even remember saying yeah. that because- that, I, I'm yes. seriously now the three in me who's being conscious is like, wait, did I say that? Really? Okay. Yeah, you said it a second yes, ago. Yes, you did. Wow. And that's okay. really good for a three. I, I remember thinking the same thing. Yeah. Okay. And you had a coach care. that helped you do this? No, because I did. Really, okay. Yes. Okay. I worked I worked really closely with with a with a coach who 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 also was who also was a three and oh. did, had done, gone through her process of figuring out. And she's also the one who helped me realize that I'm a three because when she said, I think you might be a three, I was like, I don't identify with any of these. I was reading about it online and she said, well, the standard description of a three in the Enneagram is often 
pretty male or like, it's oh. kind of like you want status and you want mm-hmm. like I, I was like I don't think a three would have quit my law job to be a tutor right. you know but then it's like but it did take me seven months to, like I had to hit rock bottom to get yeah. there you know mm-hmm. yeah. but there she she helped me see that there are ways of being a, a certain number that aren't necessarily like what you see you know like Ukraine on the yeah. tests or what yeah. you know what what the websites say yeah. So anyway, really into Enneagram. I have a deck of tarot cards, but I don't know how to use them. So I'd love to hear what you actually do with you them. Do. I didn't know how to use them either. And every author kept telling us this, or a lot of authors, and it was actually Jillian, Jillian McAllister, yeah. who we just talked to about Wrong Place, Wrong Time, which is so good. And she she was the second author that week that, had week said, that said yes. about Yeah, KJ they come Dallas, out at different Dallas. times, but we had recorded them back to back. Yeah, Right. But what she said was... I, I said, did you have any practice or training or how do you know? I have this deck sitting here too. What do I do with it? And she just said that she would sit and think about, you know, a question. She said for her it was usually around publishing and writing issues, but, and that she would, it was, what do I do or how do I feel about this? She just shuffled the deck and you just pick a card and then you go to the book and you read the description. And she mm. found mm. that it was always in tune with what she already knew intuitively inside. Her it subconscious. Was, it would reflect yes. what she knew to be true, but for whatever reason, couldn't see on her own or acknowledge. And then she would read this and be like, oh okay. yeah, I know like, what to do. Like I, I knew that, yeah. but I, you know, it helps with like her knowing that. and that is exactly what has happened to me. So she gave me the permission to go, okay, I don't actually need to right, know Right, just anything. ask a All question do is, and pull yes. a card. Yeah. And then be prepared to freak that. out at the insane accuracy, if you will. And I almost, I almost chucked them. I was like, I can't, this is too, this is too much. Really? It is too much knowing in my face. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it, it's been really weird. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah. I don't know if mine came with a book. No, really, so it didn't. It, yeah, it, probably not. We bought it just, separately. Yeah. Uh, and okay. what's, that makes sense. And someone else, who was it that recommended the book? Because there's a modern so, one that is more, she has more modern interpretations and it's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, female. This focused. is the best. Yes. yes what's modern the book? Tarot by modern Michelle tarot. T. Modern okay. Tarot. Yeah. Ordering. Order. Yeah. Next time we talk, I'm going to be so into tarot. <laughs> I, I mean, and I'm going to ask for your Enneagram coach. So it'll, <laughs> it'll be great. I mean, what else can we okay. do? I guess. I know. What, what else other, is there? I've talked to a psychic. I mean, I, I've done that. I don't know. What else? What other I've done energy, energy readings. Reiki. I've mm-hmm. done Reiki. I've done an energy. Mm-hmm. I've done the psychic. All right. We've uh, gotten way off track here. <laughs> This is how many times have we no, said it's that? So fun. I know. It's like, just fun that? chatting. It is. I know. I've enjoyed my time very much. Okay, but let's just circle back to Palm Beach. <laughs> Palm Beach is out in paperback now. Mary Adkins, we love talking to you so much. Thank you so much for coming on again. You want to tell people where they can find you? Sign up for your yes, her newsletter. Just, yeah, you can sign up for my newsletter. Just find more more about my books at maryatkinswriter.com and my last name is with a d not like the diet yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right thank thank you so much